Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to a special episode 55, where we get a backstage look at the hair department, the first people to show up at the theater and the last people to leave the theater. My special guest is Mitchell Beck. Hello, Mitchell Beck. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. So we're sitting in your lovely apartment with your two cute dogs on the Upper West Side. Yeah, in the Upper Upper West Side. Upper Upper West Side. Uh, Hamilton Heights? No. Soha. Soha. I'm kidding. It's South Harlem. South Harlem. So I'm going to start off by uh, reading your credits. You didn't give me your tour credits, so I just had to guess. Uh, Will Rogers Follies, Phantom of the Opera, Spamalot. Shrek. Oh, it's because you didn't have enough room on your resume is what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after a while, you have to take, you know, the older things off. Yes. Uh, So on Broadway, (laughs) you started with Blood Brothers, Grease, Dan Mankey's, Phantom of the Opera, Follies, Death of a Salesman, Book of Mormon, Nice Work If You Can Get It, Elf the Musical, and A Bed and a Chair. And then you've done a lot of TV and film as well, but the ones I highlighted uh, are The Americans, Sound of Music Live, Peter Pan Live, Z, The Beginning of Everything, and currently you're on Elementary. Yes. So, uh, where are you from and how did you get started in theater? Um, I'm originally... And wigs, I mean, and hair and... All that. Um, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I used to be a performer. Uh, then I realized I was terrible. I'm never going to make any money at it. So my mom's best friend, Kathy, I call her my Aunt Kathy, she suggested I try beauty school because she was a hairdresser. Uh, so I went through beauty school. Uh, it was Hair Fashions by K Beauty College. It's a trailer attached to a house. Oh. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was exciting. Wait, in, in, in the end, I think you've shown yeah. me that trailer. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's a, like <laughs> someone actually lives there. Now it's not a school anymore. Like turn it back into like a, a, a residence. Um... And then I was working in a salon, and I was doing community theater and stuff, and a tour came through town, the Will Rogers Follies, it was 1993, and I worked as a local for the week they were there, and about a month and a half later they called and asked me to come out on tour with them. Wow, and then how long did you tour with Will Rogers Follies? Like the last, the last three months. Oh, okay. And then I had a choice, I could either go back to Indiana or move to New York. And what did you decide? I decided to move to New York. And you talk about when you moved to New York, you hated it, but yet you did four Broadway shows when you first moved to New York. How long I, were you here? I moved here, 94 to 96, two years in the 90s. I was really, really fortunate. I moved to town. I didn't know anybody. I actually had a boyfriend that was a swing stage manager on Will Rogers Follies that I met. We were seeing each other, and he let me stay with him down in uh, the village off Bleecker Street t- until I kind of got my bearings. I, the only time I'd ever been to New York was in 1987 with a high school marching band. Marching band? Uh-huh. We marched in the Macy Day Parade. <laughs> I was a sophomore. I was, oh my God, I don't know. I was... <laughs> I was... I know. I know. And people were surprised I was gay. So yeah, we marched in the Macy Day Parade. I barely remember it because it was overwhelming and I was a sophomore in high school and it was so much. But I remember thinking it was exciting. But I, I never, I never had that drive that a lot of people have. Like, oh, I'm gonna move to New York, and I'm gonna, I can't wait. I moved because I knew I was not. I knew that I had an opportunity. That if I moved back to Indiana, 
the opportunity was going to close. Mm. So I moved to New York, and I was very fortunate. I got a job on Broadway like four days later, doing Blood Brothers. I was doing Carol King's hair and makeup. Oh, cool! It was it was very cool. I actually thought I was going into interview with Carol Kane from Taxi. <laughs> so I walked in. I'm like, oh, that's not her. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. You know, and I I was oh my god, I was so ignorant. I I didn't really know who she was. She was a very nice lady. We got along very well, and I got the job. And then I went home, and at this point, I had a sublet. And her, oh my God, her name was Lauren Goler Kazarin, and her husband Danny. Oh wow, she was in the ensemble of Will Rogers, and he was a music director doing a chorus line. I had not thought about them in forever. Wow. Anyway, I come home, and I said it wasn't Carol Kane. And they're like, well, who was it? I said Carol King, and she lost her mind. I'm like. Who is she? And then she went to her album collection and she pulled out all these albums. And I realized, I know all of these songs. I think one of the reasons I got the job is I wasn't like impressed because I didn't know who she was. Right. Well, maybe it was good because you get embarrassed in front of talking to people. We'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it was good you didn't know who she was. Yeah, no. But you know what? She was... The universe could not have put a better person for me to take to work on on my first big job. She is so kind. And she was... She's everything you think she should be listening to her music and watching her on TV over all these years. She was, she was amazing and she was so patient. And now I look back on just ignorant mistakes I made. I cringe. I'm like, oh, but I didn't have anyone. T- I didn't know. I was by myself. Yeah. It was a one man job. I didn't have a department head. I didn't have a supervisor. It was just me and her. And I even left an intermission. I got her ready for act two and her hair didn't move and I could go. It was a really cushy wow. gig. So how do you get trained to go from doing regular hair to doing wigs? Well, she wore her own hair, fortunately. Oh, she did? Yeah, no, she was on, I styled her own hair. She has gray hair. Great hair, not gray hair. It might be gray now. It <laughs> probably <laughs> um, Might be. In America, we don't have the same training that Europeans do when it comes to theatrical hairstyling. We just don't. There are some courses and some programs and colleges across the United States, but it's not the same training. And I just had to learn on the job. Really? I really did. I really did. I had never, until Will Rogers, I had never seen a lace front wig before, and there was only one. So I was just enamored with him. It was like magic. You put the wig on, you couldn't see the lace, and all of a sudden, you know what I mean? It was like, I thought it was magic. So I had to learn. Unfortunately, I wanted to learn, and I was surrounded by a lot of really good people. So why did you end up leaving New York after you had a couple more Broadway shows? Yeah, I had a couple more Broadway shows. It got to the point, I was doing, when I left, I was doing Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. I was turning one of those crazy people who walked down the street talking to themselves. It was crowded. God, I hated it when it rained because I got stuck in the air with umbrellas. It still happens. But I was just, I don't think I was ready. I was at, well, how old was I then? Like 24, 25 maybe? Oh, okay. I don't think I was, I don't know. I wasn't ready. I didn't, I was subletting. I didn't have my own place. I didn't have my own furniture. I never really settled. And then I got hired to do the Sunset Boulevard tour, the first one, the the, the big one. I did that. I left and I did that. I kind of decided I liked touring. Well, before we go to your touring life, two things. One, you said that Jared Emick had to get his tattoos covered. How do they cover tattoos? Does the hair department also absorb all makeup? Well, you're talking about Damn Yankees. It was uh, the Jerry Lewis version of Damn Yankees back in the 90s. How many years ago was that? What's the math? 95, I think, is when I moved to New York and the marquee was up, so it had closed. 05, 15. Oh my God, that's over 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, Jared would come in without a shirt on, which was hot, and then Bill Graham, rest his soul, he's gone now, but he would cover Jared's tattoo. Yeah, I think he had, I think it was on his back is because the character Joe had to take off his shirt in the 50s and he wouldn't have a tattoo. Right. But yeah, I mean, it depends on the show, but like on Blood Brothers, it was hair and makeup. It was one person, me. On Damien, it was the same thing. I don't know how they separate it. 
You know what I mean? I think if there's gonna be special effects makeup, like on Lion King, I don't know how Lion King runs, but like on Phantom, there's a separate makeup person. But if it's, I think they do, it does kind of get absorbed by the hair department. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And the other credit that you missed, uh, didn't you play uh, Miss Piggy? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite credits. <laughs> my, <laughs> my last paid acting job. <laughs> I worked with Jim Henson and his Muppets at what was then Disney MGM. I auditioned in Indiana. They hired me in Indiana. They moved me to Florida. And we were doing the workshop. It was a show called Here Come the Muppets. We were workshopping it. We were still writing it. Jim was still alive. He would be there. It was amazing. I grew up loving puppets. Oh, yeah. You know, I had Waylon Flowers and Madam were everything for me. And the Muppets, too. But anyway, so to, to actually get to work with Jim Henson was amazing. And then he died, which was really sad because we, we hadn't even opened yet. And we just seen him like a week before, a couple of weeks before. Yeah. All of a sudden, we heard he, he died. We're like, you're kidding. And this is in the 90s before we had cell phones and stuff. So it was just all word of mouth. And I was Disney for about a year. And I realized that, that I wasn't doing it. Yeah. It wasn't, so I moved back to Indiana and did the beauty school thing. Very nice. Yeah. So when you left New York, you decided to go on tour. You obviously liked touring because you stayed out on the road for 17 years? 14 years. 14 years? It was 14. Okay. God, I exaggerated. Worse than it was. Yeah. But that's still a long time. That was time. a long time. Yes. And with Phantom, you talk about that after really being a long run, you got into a really dark place. Was it the monotony? Is it the music? What about that? And why would you stay with the show that's that long? Um, I did Phantom for a year on Broadway. And then I did Sunset Boulevard for the year, and we closed. And then I moved to Seattle because I thought I was going to leave the business. Oh. I was, and I didn't. I was there for like three months, and then Leon Gagliardi called, and he said, I have an opening on Cats, and I have an opening on Phantom. Which one do you want? And I don't know why. I don't know why I chose Phantom. Cats, is, as you know, has always been my favorite Broadway musical ever. I know. And I don't know why. You probably have a unitard in the closet somewhere. I might. I might, one of the original ones, maybe. I might have given one to a friend of mine in San Diego. I don't know why I chose, but I chose Phantom. And I, I left, and I was on, on the road for eight years with him. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was the Cadillac tour, which they don't really do anymore. We're in cities for four weeks. And I think I stayed with it so long out of fear because it was comfortable. Mm -hmm. I knew we weren't going to close. I knew I had a paycheck every week. I got to see the country. I was just like third hairdresser, you know, from the left. I was just working. And I think we called it the golden handcuffs. It was just easy. And then I, yeah, I did get kind of dark. I, although I did get a condo out of it. I called my house the house that Andy Lloyd Webber built in, nice. in Indiana, which I'm selling. If anyone wants to buy a house in Indiana, <laughs> Facebook me. I just, I think I stayed so long because I didn't think I was very good. I didn't think I was ready to do anything else. I didn't want to move back to New York. I was just kind of a little lost. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's completely understandable. Yeah. And when you're the third hairdresser from the left, do you primarily deal with, at that point in your career, with the ensemble? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did it. I mean, I did Fanta for so long. There is not, even the makeup. I was a swing makeup artist, too. So when the regular makeup, makeup artist was out, I'd go in and do the Fanta's makeup. There was not, I did it for so long. There is not one wig in that entire show that I did not do. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. One thing that I meant to say at the very, very beginning is that the hair department is, in many ways, their hours are the longest than anyone else's. They are First one, in, last out. Yeah, they get there hours and hours before everyone else. Yeah. Sometimes there's times when the security guard, the front door, has to come and tell you guys to go yeah, home. Yeah, totally. So it's, I mean, it, these are unbelievable hours. You're setting and you're, I mean, sometimes you're having so many wigs. I mean, tell me about that, especially when you are dealing with ensemble wigs. How many wigs do you have to do a night? 
Depends on the show. Shrek, we had uh, either two and a half or three hour pre-call to get them all ready. And then afterwards, afterwards wasn't so bad. It was about 45 minutes. When I was doing Death of a Salesman on Broadway, it was just me. Hmm. And it was, um, I wish it was, it was that, A, that was a fantastic experience. I would have stayed till 4 a.m. if I had to. It was just me. And because Mike Nichols, rest his soul, could spot a wig lace from 20 paces. Really? Oh, yeah. You, between him and Ann Roth, they could see a lace from across the street. So it was all film lace. Theatrical lace is a little thicker. It's built to hold up for eight, eight shows a week. You know, and the dancer was sweating and everything. Film lace is made of dreams and rainbows. You look at it and it, it tears. So, and all the actresses had their wigs on for curtain call. So I was there for about an hour and a half after the show. Oh, getting all the wigs ready, uh, setting them for the next performance. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot, a lot of work. It is. And, I mean, you obviously love it, and you've become a perfectionist. But one thing when you talked about fear, and I've known you a long time, and currently you're very successful, but you always have a fear that next month you're going to be homeless. Oh, I'm never going to work again. Where does that come from? Because obviously you work constantly. Where does that come from? Is it show business? You know, show, biz, show business is a... Fickle mistress, isn't she? Yes. You know, my elementary could be canceled tomorrow. I don't know. I just, I, 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 living in New York, you see a lot of really people who are in unfortunate circumstances. There's no reason why I can't, I couldn't be there too. You know what I mean? My show could close or, or my show get canceled and then I just can't get another job. New York is expensive and I blow through (laughs) my savings and why couldn't it happen to me? I think that's what makes, I think that's what propels me to always work. Yeah, well, that's a it's a good thing. Yeah, I don't want to go hungry. Yeah, and you obviously gotten much better than Blood Butters because now you're very uh, very successful. But I remember you being a perfectionist on the Spamlot tour and obsessing over certain wigs, that wait- waitress wig. Yeah. Uh, so when did your worth ethic just become like you want to do everything so exceptional? Because some people don't; they just set their wigs and leave for the night. Yeah, because I personally I couldn't deal with the shame of putting something ugly on stage. Honestly, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's my own personal shame of not doing a good job. That's a good shame because uh, we talked about it a lot. A, a bad wig can make or break a show. A ba- and I don't want to be one of those wigs that like breaks a show. A wig can make or break a show. I mean, for me, and I don't because I, I can't stop looking at them. But like, if I'm watching a, anything, a TV, movie, or, or, or a theatrical show, if I see wig lace flopping around or I see a bed hairstyle that isn't period appropriate you know it just it pulls my eye and then I can't think about anything else and also but it's I think that's true with most people if you're watching something and it could be it doesn't have to be a wig you know what I mean it could be like maybe their costumes coming unzipped and all you can do is watch that zipper come down but if you know if a wig is not if you if you're seeing lace flap around or you see dirty lace you see like this dirt rim around someone's hairline it takes you out of what you're supposed to be watching yes my best compliment is when someone doesn't know I'm there. If you don't know that that person has a hairdresser, if you don't know they're wearing a wig, great. Great, that's nice. And getting prepped for uh, a wig, I know when I, I love wearing wigs, but I, as a male, I don't have to really do anything that much. Do girls have to do their own pin curls and all that kind of stuff? Is there secrets to that? Yeah, there's secrets to it, but you know, a lot of the ensemble, oh my God, these, you know, ensemble women, they can beat their face and do their prep in three minutes. <laughs> they are pros. But sometimes we do the prep form. But yeah, there are secrets because you have to have the same. Once you have a wig fit for you, it's like a bespoke suit. If you get fat, your suit's not going to fit anymore. Yeah. So you have to do the same prep every day. You can't put an extension in because your wig's not going to fit. Mm. You know, all of a sudden, so this $3,000 wig is useless. Yeah. 
like I remember having the my first costume designed for me, but I also remember having my head fit for the first time for yeah. my own wig. That is really cool. But how is it with it's cellophane? How does that work? It is a lot of people use saran wrap. Oh, cellophane. Yeah, and scotch tape. The clear scotch tape, not the cloudy scotch tape, but you have to use the clear scotch tape. You'll put the actor's head in the prep that you will probably use for the show, because that's how the wig's going to fit. Mm-hmm. You wrap the head in uh, saran wrap, and you use the scotch tape to tape over the cellophane to make it firm. And then you use a Sharpie, and you draw the hairline in where you want the hairline, and you draw the pattern of the actor's hairline in the back and around the ears, and you pop it off their head, and the wig maker takes it, and... That's so cool. Yeah. And with, sometimes with women, they put their mic in the back of their head for yeah. the wig prep. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what the costume and the sound designer wants. But a lot of women will uh, wear, especially if they're not wearing a lot of clothes, so we don't see wires, we'll put the transmitter in the crown of the head. But we have to have the transmitter when we do the wig fitting to make the wig fit over everything. Ah. Yeah. You said the Shrek tour was the tour that put the nail in the coffin of you saying, I need to move somewhere else or back to New York. I, yeah, I need to go the road. And it was just a lot, a lot of work and a beast of it. It was a beast. It was the, it was the hardest tour I've ever done because it was enormous. Mm. All those fairy tale creatures. They had us moving weekly and that was not a, week, that was not a weekly show. Mm. And the management company did not care that we were exhausted. We would travel on Monday Start load in at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, work all day, do a show Tuesday night, and more often than not, we're up at 3 or 4 a.m. on Wednesday to do the morning press for the week. And it just, I was exhausted. Yeah. Well, yeah, a broad stroke question. Management companies oftentimes don't look at the hair department as valuable or artistic, and they take advantage of that. Why do you think that is? Because it is such an important part of this production no I don't know I I don't know what the I don't have an answer for that and I've actually wondered the same thing myself because we're sculptors we sculpt with the hair like we we're artists and either we're, we're either recreating what exactly what the designer wants which takes talent or we're coming up with something new which takes talent and a lot of people can't do hair no you know what I mean so and also we're one of the few I, I might be wrong here but I don't think I am we're one of the few departments in in a Broadway house that has to have a license to do oh. what we do. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we have to go to school. We have to have a license. And we recreate what we do every single day. And yep. that is our talent. Recreate it and make it look the same. And it shouldn't be taken... No, and I don't, know why, I don't know why that... My last Broadway show is Kinky Boots. We won the Tony for Best Musical. I love drag queens. I, I do. We can talk about it later. But drag, <laughs> you love. I love drag queens. <laughs> I love everything about it. And I love Greg Barnes. Ugh. I love working on his shows. Billy Porter is amazing. So it should have been the highlight of my career. Yeah. And it wasn't because the management company thought they just were so cheap. I, I resented every time I walked through the stage door. Mm. Because it's like, I was not, I did not feel respected. I didn't feel appreciated for what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, those angels danced their asses off. Yeah. So when those wigs came off those boys, they were wrecked. There was no way they were going to do a second show. So we had to redo them every day. It was a lot of work. Mm. And the money wasn't there. You know, they were, they were, they were I've been in the business 
a long time before I did Kinky Boots. And the money they offered me that I accepted, which is my own fault, I probably shouldn't have accepted it, but it's drag queens, I had to. But also, it's not like you have an agent. I mean, no. hair people, it's not like you have an agent standing up for you and representing you. You have to do it all yourself. After, yeah. I mean, there are agents out there for hair. I don't have one yet. I haven't needed one. I haven't mm. needed to pay someone 10% of my hard earned shekels oh, yet. La di da. No, you know, there's going to come a time, I'm sure. But no, I have to fight myself. And like, management companies don't care. Yeah. They don't care. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the cast and the ensemble, uh, I know oftentimes I see them treating other people poorly backstage, and you know some people don't have etiquette, respect to treat the crew. Do you find that at least uh, the actors are always appreciative of you, or sometimes are they they treat you like a wig person, quote unquote? Yeah, all the above. All the above. Sometimes, you know what I mean. We they respect what we do. I can tell when an actor comes off. If, if they take, if they, oh, this drives me crazy. If, if an actor comes off and they just rip their own wig off and throw it on a table, mm. I'm like, okay, that's what you think. That, I mean, that's an absolute no-no. I mean, what are the, I mean, occasionally they're like, take off your wig and throw it in a basket, but those are nasty, when you have a nasty, supposed to be a nasty yeah, wig. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, quick changes on Broadway, and that's the fun thing about Broadway, are quick changes. Yeah. You know, because you don't stop, and it's, that's the exciting part. And sometimes, but we've prepared for that. You know what I mean? Mm. We've, we've taken out the back pin, so all the actor has to do is dip their head for it, and we just take it off real quick and throw it in a basket. That's different than coming in, ripping it off your head, and just throwing it on a table and walking away. And that's completely disrespectful, and I've seen people do that. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a shirt. It's, it's a not wig. a shirt. It's a wig. So it took, you know, it took someone an hour and a half to dress that for you. Yeah. It's going to take them about 45 minutes to get ready to clean it up, and then it'll take another and a half to dress it for you for the next show. Yeah. Well, I think I, I know sometimes as an actor, I don't, you don't understand why you have to wait for a wig person to take it off. But that's probably and, why. You know, also because, you know, Broadway wigs, they're made of lace mm. and they're fragile. They're very expensive. And it's not a quick fix. If you rip your lace, yeah. you could tape it together for the show, but it's an expensive fix. Yes. It was, well, that's no, definitely good, good to know. Yeah. Uh, and are you guys unionized or how? We are. You are unionized. Local 798. Local 798. Yeah. So after uh, Shrek exhausted you, the thing I like about you is you, you are very a person that says you talk that you have absolutes. I'm never moving to New York. I know. And then you move to New York yeah. and you thrive. So it's like you almost uh, hit your fears head on when you're ready. Yeah, uh, when I'm ready. You, when you're ready. When you have the conversation with you, you're never going to be ready. Mm-hmm. But so now you moved to New York and you've worked nonstop. I know uh, one of your big shows was, was Follies, yeah. which now no longer focusing on ensemble performers. You started to work with principals and, and your career started to take off. But you got to work with Bernadette Peters. Oh, yeah. And uh, she kind of uh, changed your life. How, how, is, how is that to actually be a personal hair person for someone like Bernadette? It was a dream. I couldn't believe it. Because I, I, I told David, David Brian Brown was, was the designer of Shrek. I've known David. He's one of my best friends. I've known him since 96. He designed Shrek, and I told him, I said, I woke up one day on the road on Shrek. I'm like, dude, I can't do this anymore. I am miserable, and I don't want to be miserable anymore. Mm-hmm. So, again, moved back to Indiana, moved to New York. Backing up a little bit, remember when I was doing pre-production for Shrek? And I was staying with you. Yes. And I loved New York. Remember when I fell back in love with it? Oh, yeah. I was shocked as anyone else, but I fell in love with New York. And the entire time I was on the road with Shrek, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's viable. Maybe I can do it again. And then that morning I woke up, I'm like, if I have, if I have any more green on my fingers, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> uh, and then I decided to move back to New York, yeah. 
Which, well, no, I think that's such a great decision. But then David called. Oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm doing Follies. Do you want to do it? I'm like, okay, fine. All I cared about was I was going to have a job. Yeah. I wasn't going to be homeless and I wasn't going to be hungry. Yeah. You know, my dog Dorian was going to have a place to sleep. You always and then, think you're going to be homeless. It cracks me I up. I do. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I thought, I knew Bernadette was in it. I was so ex- Bernadette Peters was in it. And I was so excited because, you know, who doesn't love Bernadette Peters? Yeah, I don't know that anyway. Right? And, I was so, and Elaine Page was in it. Mm. It was a powerhouse thing. I was just so excited just to be a part of it. And David said, he called me. I was, remember, I was, I had just moved in. Still boxes all over my tiny one bedroom. And he says, I'm going to have you do Bernadette and Elaine. I screamed. I was so excited. And then the first time we were in the theater and the cast was in the theater, I hadn't met Bernadette yet. I was in the house watching a rehearse and I just had goosebumps. I couldn't believe it was actually going to happen. And then I met her and, you know, she's a little little bit of a thing and she looked up at me and squinted her little face and said, it's nice to meet you. And I was in love. Yeah. What's amazing is almost her hair almost always looks like her real hair. You mean her wigs? Yeah, her wigs. Yeah. Well, remember when I said that my greatest... My, the greatest compliment to me is when people don't know I'm there. Yeah. Even people that know her wondered how she did that hair change with her own hair. From her curly Sally wig to the losing my mind wig. Yeah. Like, how'd you do that? She's like, it's a wig. Yeah. yeah she had two wigs. Yeah, it's crazy. Even Annie Get Your Gun, her wigs were designed to look exactly mm-hmm. like her own hair. Yeah. And that's, that's just so amazing. You also deal with a lot of naked women. Yeah. Which I just think is so interesting. Like in a quick training booth, there are women like they strip down to G-string and pasties and you're there putting on their wigs, clipping them in. Yeah. How do you gain the trust of, of people to be able to do that? Or is there just no time you just do it? All the above. There's no time. Like when you do it, I mean, quick changes, you have anywhere between, you know, five seconds to a minute and a half to do a full thing. You just get in there and you do it. But I think I you gained you gain their trust by making extreme eye contact. Mm. You know, I've seen so many naked people that I I know they're naked, I could not pick them out in a lineup if I had to look. Oh, wow. Especially when you're dealing with ensemble showgirls, and some of them are very insecure about, even if you're a gay man, I've never seen anyone feel that way about you, because everyone loves working with you and oh. getting naked in front of you and putting on a, a wig. Yeah, yeah. I just make eye contact, you know what I mean? Oh, that's but, like, but spam a lot was Spamalot Where I Met You yes. was one of the most fun tours I've ever I know I poo-pooed on tours but Spamalot was the f- only Shrek only you know, it was hard yo <laughs> um, no that was at the end of 14 years that was why I was just tired it, yeah. was, it wasn't it wasn't poor Shrek's fault it's my husband's favorite musical but Spamalot was one of the most fun tours ever and going the waitress changed going from waitress to oh Not waitress showgirl. ball girls oh, they had to change girl. their tops yes. and everything that changed there was like six, and they were all naked. There was one, we can edit this out. We used to call her Jugs because her boobs were so big. And so she'd be bending over to do her shoes. This is after I'd gained her trust. And it was just us in there. But she'd be bending over to do her shoes, and she was topless, and I'd knock her over. <laughs> <laughs> we're totally not editing that out. Yeah, yeah. I'll just edit out her name. Yeah, we might edit out a poor thing. But she, I mean, she, it was funny. She laughed. I, I took off my shirt a lot. Just, you know, just like, yeah, woo, we're all going to do it. You know what I mean? But that was after a while, and I know that I'm not a lech. That, you know, right. And even though I still couldn't pick out their boobs in a lineup. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you have, everyone gets along with you, but you talk about having really poor people skills and oh. anxiety. Oh. And when you have to talk to anyone who's important, you step on their toes, you're afraid oh, you're going to spit on them. How? <laughs> I know. You know, it, but you know, it's different. Because like I've, got, I've figured out I have, this is going to make me sound like Sybil. I have a, I have a work personality. Mm-hmm. 
and then I've got me, right? So if I'm dealing with an actor or a celebrity or whoever, my work personality kicks in and there's no fear. I'm not going to step on you. I'm not going to spit on you. I'm not going to snot on you. Uh, you know what I mean? I won't get tongue tied. I won't say the F word at the wrong time. But when I deal with people in my own personal life, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I step on, I go to shake someone's hand and I step on their foot or I drool or I spit on them. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm, it's, I don't know what the difference is, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. It's very funny because when I you've I, seen it, you've seen me do it. I've seen both of them, and I don't understand how sometimes they're the same person. I don't know either. <laughs> you know, because you, you're like there with Bernadette Peters, and then you can't talk to you know the Wendy Orson. Yeah, remember the time I like she was wearing sandals and I completely crushed her foot. Yes, I felt really bad about that. <laughs> You should be happy she knew your name, though. <laughs> she did know my name. She did know my name, and then I crushed her foot. Yeah. And she didn't forget me after that, did she? No, she did not. No, no. She did not. Bless her heart. Uh, you work uh, constantly, and I think you throw yourself into work, but at a uh, very early adult age, you, I guess, became what people call an orphan because you lost both your parents. How mm-hmm. did you pers- continue working when you're dealing with such a... Tragic loss, but both within four years. Other. Yeah, my mom died in two thousand ten. My dad in two thousand fourteen. Yeah. Does that still count as young? Do I still count as young? You you still do. For for that, for that category of, of parental death. Well, I think you know. I mean, a lot of people don't lose their parents until their parents are true, much right? older. Yeah. I mean, you were in your thirties. Yeah. Oh my God, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think mom dad was thirty nine, and dad died in fourteen. So I was in my forties by then. But I was actually because of work, I was able to get through it. Right, because I I am a little bit of a workaholic, and I was able to turn that grief off for just a little bit. You know, I left Spamalot. My mom got diagnosed with cancer. I left Spamalot closed, and I moved home. And I took you know took care of her for about six months. And I had to go back to work at this point. And it was Shrek. Yeah. And I said, um, oh, I can't even talk about it. I said, I, I got to go back to work, Mom, but I'll be back in six weeks, okay? I'll be back in six weeks. She said, okay. And she didn't make it. Mm. Yeah. Well, you threw yourself into work, and now your your career has changed. You're not ironing wigs, Lady of the Lake wigs anymore. You're, like, designing, yeah. and you're uh, setting shows and doing all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you have so many hats. When Was this something that you you decided to do personally, or is it something that happened gradually? You know, it happened gradually because you just kind of work your way up the ladder. But I did want to do it. I like bossing people around. Oh, so you like being the department head. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to answer that. Yeah, I do. Because I know that the quality of my work is good enough that I can take a team and make the project look good. And that's my main, that's my main goal. I want it to look good. Well, that's a g- good goal yeah you talked about early in your career you didn't have a lot of people that could train you so you do take the time to train young hairdressers absolutely i think that's great because my my key on elementary is vanessa anderson and uh she used to be a patty lapone's hairdresser before i i snatched her away oh yeah and vanessa and i vanessa's old we're both like there's like the i know people throw the word old school around a lot but there are really we've noticed with the younger kids there's like a there's a difference you know, and they, I don't, we don't think the younger kids are getting the training that we had. Yeah. So I, I hire a lot of, I will hire a lot of new people just to, just to see how they are. We talked a little about this. Broadway's full of Broadway shows. My union said there were 55 TV shows filming. And, it and God knows how many movies. Yeah. I mean, New York is hopping. And there's a lot of new kids getting started. 
doing hair for Broadway and doing hair for film and TV, it's the same thing. It's like the same language, just a different dialect. Mm. There's set, there's different things to learn, like set etiquette, film lace, theatrical lace. On a Broadway show, if you're gonna make a dancer's wig, hold up, you're gonna you're gonna pin the hell out of it. Yeah. Make sure they can do backflip, and the roles are gonna fall. You know what I mean? The style is gonna stay up. When you do film and TV, you kind of need a lighter hand. So that's just stuff that you have to learn. And I am always happy to show somebody how to do something. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, because you, you, none of us are born with full knowledge. We all, I mean, I'm still learning stuff. Yeah. You know, there's some fantastic hairdressers that I love working with because I learned, like, Kay Giorgio is a huge film hairdresser. David Brian Brown designs Broadway. Jerry DiCarlo has, has won uh, Emmys and stuff. I mean, these are fantastic hairdressers that I look up to because I learn something from them just by watching. They don't have to say anything. Just by watching them. And then the whole other skill, too, that you now have is also making wigs. I remember you making a... <laughs> a uh, sitting by a pool underneath the shade, of course. Of course. Making a sister act wig. Yeah. And so is that is that also something that you didn't go to school for? You no. just another learned thing? Another learned thing. I wanted to learn how to do it. Anytime I met a new, new wig maker, it's either Paul Huntley or who else? Ray Marston out of London. Like, I would ask... I would be that person that would ask 20 questions... I might have been driving them crazy, but they answered every single one, and I soaked it up. Mm. No, I don't think that's driving people crazy. I think people like that people want to learn from them. Maybe. Yeah. So after your obsession with drag queens and a lovely, successful run at Kinky Boots, you were kind of unhappy with Broadway, even though you said you would never leave Broadway. I know, right? You left Broadway. I know. And you yeah. went into TV. The theme of this podcast is if you say you're never going to do something, chances are you're going to do it. Right, but when you do do it, you succeed. Like, you've been away from theater for a while. Yeah, because yeah, I, I did move to New York to work on Broadway. And I love Broadway. I love, I mean, I was a little theater geek. I, God, I love Broadway. And I was starting to not like it because of n- not feeling appreciated. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't want to be a cog in a machine. I mean, don't get me wrong, you don't have to, like, bow down and kiss my feet. No, but, just respect you. Yeah, just respect the, yeah, respect me. Respect the art of what we do. Because it is an art form. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that 110%. But yeah, I, I left because I, I wanted to leave before I hated it. Mm. No, that's a good attitude. I wish some ensemble people would do that. <laughs> yeah. Golden handcuffs. It is a golden handcuffs. Two of your TV jobs were theater jobs. You did Sound Music Live and Peter Pan Live. Yeah. So how was that experience? I think where I'm going with the next couple questions are, what are the biggest difference between theater and TV? The, the difference is, I think we talked about this a little bit before we turned on the tape recorder, is that on, in theater, you can have a little heavier hand. You have, you have time to make it perfect before it goes on the actor's head. And you know what? If it's not quite perfect, you're going to have seven more chances that week to get it right. Mm. On live TV like Sound of Music or, or, or uh, Peter Pan, I did more work on Sound of Music than I did on Peter Pan. On live TV, you got one shot. So that's a little nerve-wracking. Mm. But because it's TV, you know, we used film lace, used a high-def lace. But it was exciting. It was so cool because it had this... It was interesting because like at that point, I had already... You know, I was pretty well-versed in, in TV and film land. But to do a theatrical show on TV was a really cool hybrid because yeah. you had the same excitement, pre-show excitement of getting everyone ready, seeing everyone turn into the characters you're supposed to, and then it was like a Broadway show, but live on TV. It was really cool. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. It's so exciting. Your first big regular TV job was The Americans. Yes. And 
is there a lot of real hair in these shows? And is there a lot of wigs? It depends on the show. The Americans, it was all real hair, except for when um, Matt and Carrie, their characters were in disguise because they, uh, they were Russian spies. That was a lot of fun. Because, like, they... I, I, my God, I couldn't tell you how many disguises we went through. Wow. So we had a stash of wigs in the trailer. Peg Sheerholtz was the department head for that. And, you know, all of our prep work was getting a bunch of wigs that fit Matt and Carrie and knowing that we had them trailer. Because we don't know what the scripts are until, like, a week before. So we don't know who these characters are going to be, but we know we have options. So in between, uh, in between setups for the next scene, Matt and Carrie would come into the trailer and we would just try different wigs on, trying to find who this thing is, who this character is. We'd talk about it really quickly, and then they'd leave, and we'd style it really quickly, and then it'd go on their head, and we'd film it. Well, I see. So you're not going to get seven more chances for that wig. No, nope, you got one shot. Interesting. Yeah. And is it a big difference to do someone's real hair? Yeah, it is. It is? Yeah, you can't push them around as much as you can a wig head. <laughs> I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah. I didn't even... I mean, you can try, but it's not going to go well. Yes. So your career of being the third hairdresser from the right is over. Now and there's you... no shame in being third hairdresser on the right. Oh, goodness, no. I don't no, mind no. being third spear character for the no. right. You know, sometimes I, I kind of want to go back to being... Some days I want to go back to being third hairdresser from the right. You know, when yeah. I, I don't want to make another decision for somebody. Yeah. It's, no. You know, somebody said about showing up, doing really good work, and going home. Yes. So we mentioned one of the stars that you worked with was Bernadette. Is that where you got this cute little dog sitting here named yeah. Lola? I was doing Bernadette, getting Bernadette ready for the show, and I had my dog Dorian, who is my first child. I got him on the road with Spamalot, and then we moved to New York, and I thought, I was getting settled, and I, 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 I'd been thinking, like, maybe I should get Dorian a little brother or sister, because that way he's not so lonely when I'm not there. And I said out loud to Bernadette Peters, I think I want to get Dorian, like, a little brother or sister. And she looked at me in the mirror and said, really? I said, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> like two days later, I've got a dog for you. Because you know she does Broadway barks. Right. Everyone knows that. And she's an animal lover. And But she's a patron to the bark shelter in Brooklyn. And they just, this family came in and surrendered this little yellow blonde chihuahua that needed a home. And you could see her ribs. Mm. It was just, it broke my heart. So I went down to meet her. I brought Dorian and they got along and now I have two dogs. The rest is history. Yeah. So I know this uh, uh, podcast is a lot about the ensemble, but I'm going to name drop a little. You've worked with a lot of people, so not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to name a bunch of people. You don't have to talk about them. You can just say one word if you want of what it was like uh, working with them. We already said Bernadette. I mean, just it's exciting that people you've worked with their head. Okay, so here we go. Liza Minnelli. Magical. Elaine Page. Legend. Kelly O'Hara. She's so sweet. Philip Seymour Hoffman. You could feel his talent. You could feel what he was doing if you're standing next to him. Kathy Jimmy. Funny. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Christina Ritchie. Amazing. You know what? Because I, you see her on movies and stuff, and you've seen it. We've all seen her grow up from Wednesday Addams. You don't quite know what she's going to be like. Right. She was a, she was, she got such a sense of humor, and she's so smart, and she's so self-aware, and she's such a fantastic artist. Like, she, she's in it to win it. There's no going halfway with her. Nice. Yeah. I already mentioned, but Carol King. 
Oh, so sweet. Bonnie Carnavale. Uh, an absolute gentleman. Aiden Quinn. Amazing. And he has the best stories because he's been in show business for a long time. Well, in these last three names, you uh, only worked with once, but uh, they're all kind of really cool, famous people. So I just put them on there because even though you only worked them once, you did touch Emma Stone. I did touch Emma Stone. Yeah, I didn't wash my hands for a couple days after that. <laughs> she was cool. Uh, uh, Cameron Diaz. Oh my God. She was, she's like your best. She was like... That one day I worked with her, she comes off like being your best bro. Really? Yeah. And she's tall and she's beautiful and she's awesome. She was really cool. And you just fixed a curl one time on Cheetah's head. Oh, but God. Again, I didn't touch my, I didn't wash my hands for a couple of days. <laughs> she's amazing. She was amazing. Oh. So uh, currently the big name that you're working with is Lucy Liu. Yeah. Uh, she texts you on your days off because you're... Her, her main squeeze on elementary and have been for, for several several years. Yeah, well, we're, on, we're ending season five. I came in uh, season three, episode nine. So a couple years, yeah. And how is that? Because now that's a full-time job of 10, 10 months of... 10 year. months, 24 episodes, 10 months. It's a lot. We're all tired at this point because no matter how cool your job is, no matter how cool your job is, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be like, oh my God, thank God it's Friday. Yeah. Because on TV, we shoot Monday through Friday. We have Saturdays and Sundays off, which is very different from theater. And do you like having that? It's especially because now that you're married and you have a relationship, is it nice to have weekends off so you can yeah. actually have a date night? Or yeah. are you just running around doing laundry all day? Uh, both. <laughs> both. But we try to do like, you know, because I do, I mean, on elementary, it's very civilized. We don't work more than 14 hours a day. We don't do, we call them Fridays, which is we shoot late Friday going into Saturday morning. We don't do that. We never start before 7 a.m. So for a TV show, it's really civilized, but you're still tired. And I'm still not home a lot. So on Saturdays, we do, my husband and I tr do try to do a date night nice. to like reconnect. And yeah, he's in the other room making a wig right now. He is speak. a wig maker, yeah. The fun thing is about Lucy Lou's hair is that it looks exactly like that Spamalot wig you obsessed over. Right? <laughs> I know. I knew that was going to... See, it paid off, right? It paid off. You obsessed I, over that one and wig. I, and because of that, I know how to do Lucy Lou's hair. Which is, I think is great. And it always looks good. I'm a huge fan of the show. Oh, I nice. was before... When I was with I know. you when you got I know. the call. I remember when like, we used... When, yeah, because what was I doing? I think I started The Americans. And you're like, have you seen this elementary? It looks awesome. And I remember you going on and on about how much you, you loved it. And then when I got the offer to department head and be Lucy's personal, I was like, oh, hey, Brad. Yeah, you actually remember, I remember you turned it down first. I did turn it down first. That's pretty brave. How do you have the courage to turn down something like that? Oh, it's one of the few times I said no to something because the deal wasn't right. Mm. You know what I mean? I was already, I was slotted to go back to do season three of The Americans. We were like two and a half weeks away from starting filming and I got a call and... I was very flattered. I always am. Like anytime anyone offers me work, I just feel like I just won a Tony Award. No. It's nice. It's always, you know, the deal wasn't right. And it, I thought, you know what? I can't, I already committed to the Americans. As lovely as it would be to work with Lucy and do elementary, it didn't, financially it didn't make sense to screw over somebody, not screw them over, but to back out at the last minute of another job, right? Yeah. So I said, no, God, Again, so much was going on. My dad was dying at that time. Mm. I said no, put it to bed for a couple of days, and they called back, and they, they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. And, God, it's a lot. And I, I had just gotten a phone call saying, your dad has about 24 hours. And then I got a phone call from elementary with that offer that I couldn't turn down. 
And I said, I am, I, I'm going to have to call you back. I'm probably going to do this. I told him what was going on. I said, oh my God, yeah, take all the time you need. And I don't, I mean, I remember everything, but it's not like it's crystal clear because it all happened so much, so fast. But then I remember my dad died the next day and then I had to tell the Americans that I wasn't coming back, which is hard for me because I always feel like I'm letting somebody down by mm. backing out. But uh, Peg Sherholtz, like I said, she was the department head. She was very understanding. She knew it was a step up for me. Then uh, I had to start elementary even before my dad's memorial happened. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. That is crazy. Yeah. But, you know, don't be afraid. I guess don't be afraid to say no. Yep. Right? And I'm, I'm, still, I'm still terrified of saying no. Yeah. But I said it once and it worked out. Which is great. Yeah. And you talk about knowing when it's the right time to step up in your career. And you've also done, you have stepped up. You've done some designing. You designed Z for Amazon. Yeah. So after a hiatus from theater and doing TV, mm-hmm. you're going back to theater yeah. as a designer. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to help associate designer working with David again. And he's designing Roman Holiday. But he actually, he's doing war paint now. He's got Frozen coming up. But he said, yeah, they offered me Roman Holiday, but I, I don't think I can do it. I said, when is it? And he gave me the dates, and I looked up, I opened up my calendar on my phone. I'm like, well, I end elementary here, and I don't start a new project till over here. So if you want to do Roman Holiday, I can help you because I've got that time, and it just worked out. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited because it's, I'll say it, you're not supposed to say it, but I can. It has a pre Broadway, it's a pre Broadway run. Yeah, that's what they're saying. And, well, I'm excited because one of my favorite people's in it might be her Broadway debut. I hope so. Make her really nice weeks. Of course. And so, uh, do you miss theater? Are you excited to go back to I... being in a basement? Because they always put the hair department in basements near heater, especially out of town. Oh, honey, I, we've done hair in the bathroom before. <laughs> Some of these theaters we go to, there isn't a hair room, the hallways are full, and the only thing that's available is a bathroom. It's interesting because like you can tell who's been on tour. When you work in film and TV, you can always tell the hairdressers that worked in film and, uh, that have been on tour mm. because sometimes our trailers aren't great or sometimes our holding area is kind of less than desirable. The people that have been on tour aren't even bothered. I mean, they've done hair in some horrible places. Yeah. Remember Hershey, Pennsylvania? You were sweating. Yeah. You guys I came into the hair room because it is my favorite place to hang out. It always, it always has I don't been. know why that, I mean, it is true. Like, the hair room is always, it's like the kitchen of a party. Yes. And it's the hair room, it's, I don't know why, because we always have good music playing. I think hairdressers, as a species, I think we're fun. Yeah. You know, I hope so. And everyone, everyone comes through the hair room. Yeah. Everyone. Even if they don't have a wig. No, they got to come and get their mic put on, or yeah. they have to have their, you know, if we're doing, you know, the guys need to get a perfect part put in. Yeah. Everyone get, comes through the hair room. Get their haircuts. But I remember Hershey, Pennsylvania, you want, the whole entire department was sweating to oh, death. No. And you guys, it was winter, and you guys were in, like, tank tops. You had shorts. to bring me a tank top. Yeah. Because I didn't have one. Yeah. Yeah, it was hot. Uh, like, a silly question just for uh, etiquette-wise. Yeah. Oftentimes, the hairdressers give you haircuts. Yes. Uh, in the show. And you guys are paid by the company. Yes. Should the actor tip you? Oh, really interesting question. I, I, oh, God. I mean, it's always nice when someone hands you cash, right? Yes. That's lovely. But it's not necessary mm-hmm. for me, me personally. Other, right. hairst- other hairdressers might have a different story. Right. But uh, as an American society, I think we overtip. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, it, how many times do you just go get, like, the, there's the tip jars now everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone looks. So I don't know. Like, if, you, if, I'm, if I'm someone's personal and I go above and beyond, I mean, it's always nice to be appreciated. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a little gifty. Thing. I don't know. It's weird. I think it's up to... 
I think if you put your hairdresser through hell, you need to be nice to him. Right. You know what I mean? If if you know you're a tricky person to deal with, mm-hmm. if you expect them to do something that is not normal protocol, then yeah, I think you I think you should show a little appreciation. Right. Because hairdressers in theater were some of the lowest paid departments that are there. Really? Yeah, they don't get yeah, they don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Fuck I couldn't go back to do Broadway right now. Oh my gosh. Only because, like, you know, my standard of living's come up. And New York is expensive, you know? I got a husband, two dogs, I've got a nice apartment, you know? I couldn't go back to making it. Yeah. But I know because also not just the hair uh, cuts, but at the end of the week, there's tipping out. There's always a tipping out. You know, I don't know. Because, you know, ensemble people don't make a lot of money either. Right, but they can throw $5 into a pot. They can. I I think that depends. I think it's nice. I think it's very sweet. I'm not going to say it's completely necessary, but if you're not going to... Tip your hairdresser. Because I think all dressers get, uh, dressers get tips straight up, right? Uh, yes. I mean, that's, they should. Th- that's I mean, just done. Yes. You tip your dresser. Of course, your dresser, they deserve it. They're carrying your water. Yeah. They, are, they do more than just pull up a zipper. Right. You know what I mean? So they, they work really hard. They have to carry your costumes up and down all the stairs because there's no elevators on Broadway. No. For you people listening in the middle of America, these Broadway houses are old and decrepit backstage you'd be surprised what we can do dead pigeons in the walls dead pigeons in the walls i mean how many times we smelled a dead mouse for weeks 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 glamorous isn't it just be really nice to your hair person please and thank you go a long way nice don't be late because when you you're late for your hairdresser that means they're not getting to their queue on time which means they're probably gonna get chewed up either by the next actor or their supervisor okay or management going why did that why did that fail choreography backstage like we just said you know there's no room backstage so backstage choreography is almost as important as what's going on on stage. Mm-hmm. And if you're late and you're running through someone else's quick change because an act, you know what I mean? It's just not nice. Please and thank you. Be on time. Yep. If you feel like buying them a, something at the end of the week or at the end of, you know what I mean? No, no, that's good to know. I mean, sometimes, I think just sometimes people don't even know that. Because I know when I always, I love getting my, my free haircut, but then I'm like, wait a minute, I... I would if I got a haircut from somewhere else, I would I would tip. Yeah. In males ensemble dressing rooms, they'll say ten dollars. Give me ten dollars for your oh, dresser. Yeah. Five dollars if you wear a wig, and then some. You know. Yeah, I remember know, that. Some bossy and person takes care of it, which I love. Which is usually you, isn't it? Now, but I wasn't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't like that when I was younger. When I was younger, I was like, I don't wear a wig. But no, just be you know, just be really nice. It's an energy thing too, because it's not when you're doing the ensemble, you know. Some of those kids are crazy. Yeah. You know, guys, you know you're crazy. Yes. And we have, we're in really close proximity to a lot of different energy. And you, you can't help but take some of it on yeah. sometimes. You know what I mean? So if your actor is really cranky that day, it might make you a little cranky. And you're like, why am I so cranky? But usually for me, if someone else it takes someone to like, be kind, and then I snap out of it. Right. So we're back to saying please and thank you. Uh, I love that. So before I ask you your proudest moments in your story, wasn't there a story that you were working on a show that an actor got pot brownies as a gift and your whole department ate them? Yeah, he did not. He did not know they were pot brownies. Oh, good. The person who gave them to him did not tell him. Why would you not tell a person? I don't know. But you know, you know, on on shows we get a lot of food. Yeah. People give us a lot of food. Very rarely do people hoard the food. It all goes out for everyone to eat. It's very communal. It's very you know family esque. Fortunately, these, these brownies didn't go out. We were offered some, so yeah, the entire hair department had a brownie. And I'm going through act one going, did I not eat enough today? What's wrong with me? 
And I hadn't done that shit for a long time, so I was pure. My body was pure, so it hit well, me Well, caffeine. Hard. You have a lot of caffeine. Well, that's you. nothing. <laughs> but yeah, I was doing that. I'm like, man, this is rough. Did I not eat enough today? I'm trying to put on a wig and a quick change, and I couldn't get the pin through the hole <laughs> as fast as I normally do. You know? And I'm like, what is wrong? And I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm starting to get a little panic attack. I'm like, I don't feel right. And we always... I mean, we, you know how I like to play peekaboo jump out. Oh, yeah. Okay, so someone did a peekaboo... Haven Burton came up with the phrase peekaboo jump out. And it's when you hide in a costume rack <laughs> and you jump out at someone and say boo. It's so mean. It's so mean. It's so much fun. Anyway, someone did a peekaboo jump out. I mean, when I was high as a kite and I... By accident. By accident. And I, I didn't know I was high yet, but they jumped out and I almost had a complete come apart. <laughs> So anyways, intermission, and we're all in, in the hair room, real quiet, we're all real quiet. And I turn around, I say, guys, I don't feel right. And everyone turned around like, I don't either, what's wrong, I don't either. And one of the guys like, those brownies weren't laced, were they? And I'm like, there's no way that happened. There's no way someone gave us pot brownies. So he went to go ask the actor, because is there anything wrong with that? And the actor's like, oh no, you people are crazy. There's nothing in those brownies. You, you people are nuts. So we finished the show. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how any of us did it. Because we were all, we couldn't even add. I don't know how we did it. <laughs> so it's after the show. We're putting it away. And all of us feel really strange. And I, of course, I get the giggles. And I'm like, oh, man, those brownies were laced. We knew it. And we're leaving. And the, uh, the actor who had received the brownies saw us leave because he was signing autographs after. And he texted and said, you guys actually weren't crazy. I feel it. There's some of those brownies. And it turns out that his friend dropped off those brownies and didn't tell anybody. Oh, my goodness. But we did it. Well, you did it. No wigs fell off. It was like it was the 70s and 80s all over yeah. again. Yeah, and you know, we laugh about it. And we laugh, Actually, we laughed pretty much the next day, but it was horrifying. Oh, well, I'm assuming that's not one of them, but what would be your proudest moment in theater and your proudest moment in TV or film? Oh, geez. Um, my proudest moment in theater, I've got a couple. The first time I saw Bernadette on stage with one of my wigs on. Mm, that's um, a pretty good one. Oh my god. Cause she's, I just, I melt anytime someone mentions her name. Like I'm just devoted to her. She's the nicest, most hardworking professional person. You know, we were talking once. I mean, I already had a good, pretty good work ethic, but we were talking about uh, how people gossip and she doesn't gossip. She never says a bad word about anybody. And she's like, you know what? I'm here to work. And I was like, damn right, I'm here to work. I'm not here to be besties. Mm -hmm. If we get along, great. I'm here to work. I love her. Anyway, that was a proud moment. And the other one was doing Death of a Salesman. That was a good show. It was good, but man, it was like Mike Nichols. It was my second time working with him. I was your opening night date and went to the party. Yes, you, yes. You introduced me to Meryl Streep. Oh, you pointed at her. And we walked by. That's it. We had coffee and we walked by her and you're like... Look to your right. Look to your right. And I looked down over my shoulder, and she was right there. She was right there, talking to Diane Sawyer. Yes. Yeah. But she was talking to your your star, who you did uh, her Linda Emond. Yes. Who was amazing. Yes. She was so good in that. But yeah, that would be Mike Nichols and Ann Roth and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Andrew. I mean, there was like, there wasn't a weak link in that show. It was amazing, and that was that was really special to be part of, it, especially since it was like Mike's last. Yeah, it was an amazing. And he, I got, I still he gave me the most amazing opening night card that I still have. Oh. One of the few cards I keep, I kept. Oh. It was nice. Okay. And then my proudest moment on TV and film was probably Z, because I, that was a labor of love. Streaming now on Amazon Prime. It's about Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. It's their story told through Zelda's eyes. It's based on a book set in the 1920s. And my proudest moment, I think, was when we had 
all of our ladies. It was a party scene, and it was all of our female leads. It was Christina, Richie, as Zelda, but we had Tulula Bankhead and her sister Eugenia, and Vincent St. Malay, and Ann Ober. These are all character names, not, you know, all real people, and they're all in wigs. Most of the background are in wigs that I designed. And I think my proudest moment was seeing the, the wide master of that and seeing all my work and looking at it. And because you know me, it's hard for me to like not pick myself apart. Yeah. Like I, I have a really hard time watching stuff I've worked on because I can't find, I, I have a hard time seeing the good. And I, I always see like, oh man, the hair's out of place. Oh, why didn't I do it that way? God, I should look at the camera angle better. But I looked at that wide master and it was good. And I was really proud. Mm. Well, you should be. I've only I've seen the clips of it, and the clips look beautiful. Yeah, she looks she looks amazing. Thanks. So I can't wait. She's can't hard to make to ugly. Oh well, yeah. She's she's a beautiful woman. So yeah, she is. She looked. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. That was a good experience. It was really hard. It was a long hours. Those are the longest hours I think I've ever worked. Wow. Yeah, but it was good. Well, this was great. I end every episode with a song, and I mean, I'm just guessing that it's probably gonna be from Wicked or Cats, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> what song uh, from your life and your career or what's going on with you currently that you'd want to end with uh, to represent you? Oh, well, you're right. It's going to be Wicked. <laughs> Which you've never worked on. I know. It's like, it's one of my favorite, like the first time I, I read the book, loved the book, right? And I was a huge fan of Adina Menzel. I was a huge fan of Kristen Chenoweth. It was like a, and the music is so good. It's just so clever. It's so good. So yeah, it's like one of my one of the last musicals that I've seen that has come out that is like my favorite. Before that was Cats. It, so it was a long time in between the two. <laughs> How um, many times did you have you seen Wicked? Five. And you've seen all different cats and cats, cats, casts, casts. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen a lot of different casts. I remember last time you were like, "I'm searching for the perfect cast. I want to combine all my." Because I missed Eden's Eden Espinosa and Megan Hilty. Oh okay. And. I, you know, like a lot of other people in middle America who can't get to New York, you YouTube it. Yeah. You know, and their chemistry was amazing and their voices are incredible. Eden Espinosa, I mean, no shakes to Adina. Adina is a goddess. Yeah. The end, right? But Eden Espinosa, her voice just does something to my soul that sends me. So to hear her sing Defying Gravity, which is the song I'm going to end on, <laughs> you know, it's like... It was amazing. She was amazing. But um, I never got to see... Anyway, sorry. I, I rambled. I never got to see them. So yeah, I'm always looking for the... Per, I, I want to find the... Per, for me personally, I'd love to find the perfect Elphaba and Glinda together that would just send me. You know what I mean? Because it's hard now because I, I have a hard time sus, 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 suspending my disbelief now in mm. entertainment. Like, yeah. I, ha- I have a hard time watching movies. I have a hard, You know, because I just can't... It has to be really good for me to like forget that I'm watching a movie. It has to be really good for me to forget that I'm watching a musical. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I know I can't not look at the hair. I can't not look. Oh look, there's a stage manager off stage left. They're not supposed to be there. Oh look, I can see that call light. You know, it's hard for me to like. Oh, interesting. Be out front again. Yeah. So I would. That's my wish. I'd love to see a perfect Linda and Alphaba. But it's defying gravity. Because when I first heard that song, it, it just spoke to me. Because you know, you have to believe in yourself, right? Yeah. And, as you know. It took me a long time to believe in myself. And I still, it's not every day. There's days where I think I'm a shameless hack. You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. There's other days where I'm like, oh no, actually you're doing okay. 
you know this song you, know, you can make it in New York you can make it there you can make it anywhere in yeah. New York and I never would have guessed being a teenager in Indiana that I would be able to live in New York in a nice apartment I have a car I have a garage I have a husband you know and you know I'm making a a, a better living than my dad did yeah you know what I mean I think that's what your parents want for you right they absolutely need to do so I know they would I know they would be proud but you know so on the days where I do feel like I can't comb hair or anything, I just think, oh my God, what are you doing? Go work at Taco Bell, you know? <laughs> I think, you know, define gravity. You have to believe in yourself. Absolutely. And maybe we'll put it out to the universe that if they make that into a movie, you'll be the... I would eat that up. Yeah, so then all your worlds will be combined. Oh my God, right? Yes. I would love that. Well, thank you so much for this episode. Yeah, I hope it didn't ramble too much. Oh, no, you didn't at all. Great. Something has changed. Something is not the same I'm through with playing by The rules of someone else's game Too late for second guessing Too late to go back to sleep It's time to trust my instincts Close my eyes and leave It's time to You can't pull me down I'm through accepting limits Cause someone says they're so Some things I cannot change But till I try I'll never know Too long I've been afraid of Take a message back from me